Has anyone in this room not had stomach flu before? Is there anyone? I'm looking around, you know? Well, if you have had stomach flu before, can you, th- can you remember the worst time it got you? Can you remember? I can remember. You know, I was, we were kids, and it was a Friday afternoon, and our family, we were going to go to Grandma and Grandpa's house, and they lived three and a half hours away, so it was, uh, it was a big ordeal to go there. We didn't go there too often. And so we set out in the car, in the van, th- th- my th- two other brothers and myself and my parents, and as we're getting partway down the road, my one brother, like his stomach, he's starting to not feel so good. And I think by the end of that trip, he was literally holding a barf bag in the back and he was puking in the back seat. And you know, in my selflessness as an older brother, you know what my thought was? Gee, I hope I don't get sick, you know? Real thinking about how he felt. But you know how when someone sucks, when someone starts talking about head lice, do you notice how like sometimes you like start to feel like itchy? And so, you know, as we were driving, I started to feel like, oh no, something's going on in here. And I was like, no, 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 I'm just like dreaming it up. But no, I was starting to get sick too. And within a little while, I think someone else in our family got sick. Like within six hours, this like stomach flu just like swept through our family. And you know why it was the worst time? Because I remember when we got to Grandma and Grandpa's, that night I just lay down on the living room floor, my hardwood living room floor with a pillow and a sheet. And I just lay there all night, like throwing up like every 30 minutes. And you know, when you throw up a couple times, it's just dry heaving after that. Oh, don't we hate being sick? Don't you hate it? I remember as a, in my teenage years, I don't know what was going on. My stomach was off sometimes. And so I would spend time, sometimes in the middle of the night, lying on the bathroom floor. And you know why I tell you that is because I realized something as I lay there on the bathroom floor many times. That is when I started to think about God, right? <laughs> Those were my moments with God in that time because, of course, you're praying, oh, God, please, please take this away. But it was more than that. I think someone once said, you know, like, the thing about pain is that it screams for your attention. And everything else that you think about you know, when you're feeling good, it suddenly doesn't matter all that much when you're in pain. And so you start thinking, I started thinking about God, and I started, you know, actually just like, I was longing for God, and I used to feel regret that, you know, when I was feeling good, I didn't have that same God consciousness that I had with those moments with God while I was leaning up against the toilet. Today, we are in a series called He Gets Us, and today I just want to talk to you about this idea that he gets our struggle, he gets our suffering. What do you do with suffering and struggle? How do you cope with it? What do you make of it? You know, there are so many different thoughts out there on what we do with struggle. Like, I mean, I think most of us, all of us would say, you know, we acknowledge the existence of struggle and and suffering, but what do you do with it? And you know, the the best minds throughout the centuries have thought and wrestled with this question of what do you do with suffering and struggle? Is there meaning behind it? How do we overcome it? What is the point of it all? For instance, you know, if you were a Stoic philosopher, you would say, you know, if you want to get rid of struggle and suffering, just shut it out. Like, build yourself such a hard core around you that anything can hit you and it won't hurt anymore. But you know, the only problem with that is if you're going to become hard towards things like suffering, you're also going to become hard and not be able to feel things like love and compassion. You know, I think of 
the, the Hindu idea of karma, we always talk about karma kind of in, in culture today, but, but the real, the truth of karma is this idea that there is no undeserved suffering in the world. That if you are suffering today, it's because of sins you committed in a past life. And now you are just reaping those sins now through your suffering. Islam generally just says, you know, whatever happens in life, it's just God's will and you're just going to have to live with that. Perhaps one of the most radical views is in, in Buddhism, there's this idea that to exist is to suffer. Like suffering is just life and the only way that we can hope to get away from it is to just detach and pull away from everything, even life itself. And your hope is to go to this place like this state of nirvana which is just this actionless, passionate-less place Kind of as someone said, it's like, it's like being a snuffed out candle. What about our culture today? How do we deal with suffering? I, I owe a lot of this to, Tim Keller once wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And if you know anything about Christian news, uh, Tim Keller just passed away about a week and a half ago after his three to four year suffering battle with pancreatic cancer. And when he looked at our culture and how we respond to suffering, this is what he said. He said, you know, as a general belief, a viewpoint, how we live is we live with this assumption that there's no God as a culture, right? I'm not saying that everyone doesn't believe there's a God, but as a culture, we generally just live our lives as if there's no God and as if there is no cosmic struggle between good and evil. And if there's none of that stuff, what does that mean about suffering? It means suffering is pointless. Suffering has no purpose. And because it has no purpose in our minds, it can be very traumatic to us. I once read where someone said, you know, if you want to torture someone psychologically, you, you, you bring them to a pile of dirt, and you tell them to move that pile of dirt, and move it over here, and when they get it all over here, tell them to move it back over there. And then tell them to move back over here and back and forth, back and forth. And they say, you know, eventually you're going to go insane. Because as humans, we long for purpose and meaning. And if there's no purpose or meaning in suffering, as we're often led to believe, it can make us go crazy. So you see in the past, cultures even in our past cultures, there's this idea that, you know, we don't like suffering, but if we have to have it, maybe suffering can actually grow us in some way. Maybe we can use it for our benefit in some way. But, you know, today, there's, there's not that feeling of that, that suffering is of no benefit. And so what do we do? We'll go to all lengths and all extremes to get rid of suffering. Just get it away. We can't stand it. And Tim Keller said this, that he felt. He said, because of our belief in suffering today in this culture, we, he felt, was we as a culture are some of the most unprepared when it comes to dealing with suffering because of our beliefs about it. I'm, I've shared a little bit about what other people think about it, but of course, I'm more concerned probably about what does the Bible say about suffering, right? You know, and Jesus is interesting because he, he acknowledges suffering but he doesn't explain it, or he doesn't explain it away. He just leaves us in this tension. And I don't know about you, but I hate tension, you know? Like, 
No one likes tension. Well, maybe some people like tension, but I don't like tension. And yet, Jesus just leaves us there because it seems like rather than telling us the why, he would rather tell us the who. Who is with us in our suffering? I don't know about you, but sometimes I think that if only I knew why this was happening, it would help me endure It would help me see the point to the end of it all. And yet Jesus seems to be more concerned about not telling us why suffering happens, but he he keeps hitting it home. It's about the who, that he is with us. I want you to picture for a moment, we're in a hospital room, and there's someone lying in that hospital bed, and they have... You know, they have a very painful disease of some sort, and they're just there, and they have no friends or family that are coming to visit them, and they're just lying there. Not only are they in pain, but they're most likely discouraged, feeling maybe hopeless. You know, you're just lying up, looking at the, at the ceiling, and time just seems to stop. Well, imagine for a moment, they look over to the door, and an old friend just happens to come in. And you see on their face, like, there's this, like, hope and relief like just kind of swells over their face because someone that they love cares for them enough to come and see them. You know, there's something powerful about being with someone in their time of struggle. There's, there's just this sense that, wow, someone cares about me. This sense that you can like share burdens or this idea that, you know, they distract you at least for that moment while they're visiting you. They distract you from what you're going on and you have this like renewed sense that you can endure, that there is hope. That's what Jesus does for us today. My first point I want to make is this idea that Jesus entered our world of struggle. He entered it, you know. Jesus came down. He saw our struggle. He saw our pain. And he didn't just see it, but he also endured it himself. He, he says many times in the Gospels, it says, and Jesus had compassion on them when he saw them. Jesus himself experienced struggle. He experienced rejection. He experienced hunger. He experienced things that we've never experienced. And I love what Isaiah 53 says about Jesus, it says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. He gets us, friends. He understands rejection. He understands pain. He understands suffering. And yet, he comes alongside us not just to, not just to take away things sometimes, but to just his presence being there to carry us through. I love what this one verse says in Psalm 68, 19. And I want you to, I want you to visualize this. It says, praise the Lord, praise God our Savior, for each day he carries us in his arms. What a picture. Do you ever picture God just carrying you in his arms? Some of you will know this. There was a poem um, that used to be, you see it framed on people's walls. It's called Footprints in the Sand. And the story of that poem is that there's this man one night, he has a dream, and he sees this, you know, this long beach with two sets of footprints, and he realizes this beach and these footprints, they represent his life everything he's experienced from birth up to the present. And those two footprints represent him and God. 
walking along in life together. And the story goes is that he looks a little more closely at the footprints and he realizes that there were times when there was only one set of footprints. And he noticed that those times were some of his darkest times, some of the most hopeless times that he had, the biggest struggles, the sufferings he had in his life. And he began to wonder, as often many of us have wondered, God, where were you? Where were you, God, when I was going through that difficulty? And so he asked God in this dream, and God's response is, you know, my child, I've, I love you. I've always loved you. And he says, those times that you only saw one set of footprints, those were the times that I carried you. What does it say? It says, for each day, he carries us in his arms. The one, the one who hurt us, or the one who was hurt, rather, comes alongside us when we're hurt and carries us and strengthens us and takes us through to the other side. And because his presence is with us, it means that we don't need to turn aside or be afraid of struggle and suffering. We can face it straight on because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He entered our world of struggle. Struggles are real, but God's also real. And God has a plan, and God is with us every step of the way. Number two is this idea, Jesus turns our struggles into triumph. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, I didn't say, you know, he, he takes away our struggles so that we can triumph. He says, no, it's he turns our struggles into triumph even when we endure them. Look what uh, it says in Romans chapter 8. Paul says these words. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have struggle or trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. He's saying that even when we are struggling, we can have overwhelming victory in our hearts and lives. You know, some of us, you may be thinking today, if you're struggling or suffering, I mean, you, th- you think you're failing. But that's not what it means at all. You're not failing necessarily. It just means that you're being attacked. We often just think that. You think, oh, like I, I'm really struggling right now. I'm suffering. I feel like, you know, I feel like a failure. And yet it just means that the enemy's actually attacking us. And I tell you, to encourage you today, that if you're feeling attacked today, you're in good company. You know, I can, I can list a lot of names in this book that come up where they were attacked and where they endured struggle and suffering. And yet God was with them and God took them through and God took them forward, even in spite, even in spite of it all. You know what the difference Jesus makes in our lives when it comes to suffering. It's this idea that while knowing Jesus doesn't eliminate life's struggles, it alters our response to them. It changes how we react and see things. We all have suffering. It doesn't matter you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, you're anything. We all experience suffering, but how do we respond to it? Someone once said that, you know, life is 10% what happens in the world and 90% of how you respond to what happens. And I want to look at just one, one person, King David, 
he wrote a little psalm in Psalm 13. It's pretty short, six verses. I want you to hear what he says. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Let my, let, don't let my enemies gloat, saying, hey, we've defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. From what I just read to you, is it safe to say that David experienced some hardship and struggle in his life? I don't know if you know anything about the story of David, but you know for years he was running from King Saul who had him on his hit list. And so he was hiding off in the caves in the wilderness and not where he wanted to be, running for his life. Later in his life, he had one of his, his one son tried to kill him and take over the kingdom and that one really hit him in the heart badly. He experienced suffering like, us all, like we all do and yet, I want to read two more verses that come right after that. It says this in verse five. He says, but. God, this is how I'm feeling. But I will trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing because he is good to me. He experienced suffering, but his response was different to it all. Why? Because he knew that he had Jesus, or God rather, Jesus hadn't been quite revealed fully yet, but he had God in his life. He knew that God loved him. He knew that God had a purpose and a plan. And so he was able to say, he was able to be honest with God, and I don't ever, don't ever be scared to be honest with God. It's all right to say how you feel, even when it's, you're kind of ashamed of how that is. But David did it, but he didn't end it there. He said, but I'm gonna trust you anyways because I know who you are and you are good. Many decades ago in, in communist China, when Chairman Mao was running and the Communist Party was running things, they, they, they booted out all Western missionaries, they got rid of all religion, they made it illegal, especially Western stuff. They hated anything that they thought was Western. And religion was illegal, they were atheist country, Lots of persecution, the, uh, the Cultural Revolution killed many people. And during that time, there was this young, this young kid, and his name was Yoon. And he was born, and his mother told him a little bit about Jesus because she remembered when the missionaries were still in the country. And he was very interested. And as he asked more about it, he, he wanted to read about it in the Bible. He wanted to read this book that she talked about. And she said, you can't read it because all the books are gone. There's no more Bibles in this country. And it just so happened that a while later that he actually came in contact with a Chinese believer who said he owned a Bible. And Yun was so excited, he said, can I see your Bible? I've never seen one before. And the guy says, no, I'm not letting you see it. This is how strong persecution was at that time. The guy didn't even want to let him see it because he was afraid of what would happen if the authorities found out. It was that illegal. And the guy says, if you want a Bible, you're going to have to pray to God to give you one because you can't see mine. And... 
through a miraculous set of circumstances, he gets a Bible and he just like devours this thing. He, he reads all through it. He's fascinated. He memorizes it. And he goes into other villages and starts to share about Jesus with others. And he said sometimes he didn't even preach or say anything. He would just sit there and read them the Bible. And people were hungry in such a dark time for hope. Now, of course, if you're gathering a group of people in that day and reading the Bible to them, it's only going to be a matter of time before the authorities find out. And sure enough, one winter's day, they come in and they arrest everyone there. They arrest Yoon, who's like 17 years old. They rip off his, his winter coat, his boots, his mitts, his hat, and they drag him off to a, a little prison cell that he said was just like, it was just straight concrete, no heat. And here he was that night in this cell, just lying there with no coat, no hat, no shoes in the middle of winter, freezing. You talk about discouragement. I can't imagine what it would have felt like, especially knowing you have that question, what is next? Like, what are they going to do tomorrow to me? And Brother Yoon says, he says as he was in that prison cell, he started remembering Psalm 150, And if you know Psalm 150, all it basically says is, praise him, fill in the blank. Like, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, heavenly hosts. Um, Praise him with musical instruments and songs. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's all the psalm is about. And Yoon is sitting there, and he's remembering that song, and he starts to just say it to himself. Praise him, praise him. And he says he starts to feel joy come up in his heart again and he stands up and he just starts declaring this truth of praising God through it all and he says slowly but surely he's like I started to regain feeling in my hands and feet and the coldness of that night seemed to disappear after a while Yoon or as we know him as brother Yoon he would spend like many years in prison for his faith. They would torture him. They would, you know, they would zap him with like electric cattle prods. They would, you know, dig needles under his fingernails. They had one time they were transporting him and they just put handcuffs on him and hung him off like on the truck and he just dangled the whole time down the road. And of course what happens is the, the cuffs dig into your skin and like he was bare to the bone by the end of it all. This guy knew suffering. But he also... I tell you, if you ever watch him speak, he also knew joy, like you wouldn't believe. And he says, you know, he says when he talks to Christians in the West, he's like, I feel so sorry for the Christian that is still in bondage when Jesus has made us free. And that's from a man who spent time in prison because you can lock up the body, but with Jesus, it doesn't matter because your spirit can be as free as anything else. And I'm wondering today, I think there's a principle in Brother Yoon's life when he was in that prison cell, is what he he memorized and he had scripture in his mind. You know, when you memorize something, you can't, someone can't take that away from you, right? You know, they can take away your Bible, they can take away your phone, but they can't take what's in here. And if you are experiencing struggling, if you're going through a season of really struggling, I I would encourage you to this. Why not ask God for a verse? 
for you in this season? You know, ask him, is there a verse? We know this is all God's word, but is there something specific for me that I can hold on to that you promise or you declare for me in this time? And if he gives you that verse, I want you to just cling to that thing. Memorize it, hold on to it, stand on it, declare it over your life. Hold on to that verse because as we've seen in that story, God's truth has power when it works in us through his spirit. Jesus turns our struggle into triumph. Through him, even in suffering, we can flourish in our spirits if we let him come in and do that. Today, we've just been talking about how this idea that Jesus, God, he gets us, he gets our struggle, he gets our suffering. And you know, unlike karma, um, scripturally, we believe that, you know, some suffering is just not fair. It's not. But unlike, and unlike secularism, suffering does not have to be meaningless. But it can have a purpose. And you know, if, if, we, if we face it right, suffering can actually be used in our lives to drive us like a nail deeper into the love of God. And so I'm wondering today, I don't know where, where everyone is at when it comes to this idea of suffering, but I want to encourage you not to think of this time as meaningless or purposeless, but to, to just like, let's take a step closer to God in it all. That even in spite of our sufferings, He is with us because God brings fullness of joy, not just in spite of our sufferings, but also through them as well. He can use them to bring us closer to him. Why don't we lean into God because he suffered with us, he knows what it's like, he gets us, he gets and understands our struggle and hardship and ask him and say, God, is there any way you can use this season that I am in right now to just drive me deeper deeper into your love today. Let's, let's pray together as we, as we close. Father, we are in awe that you would come down, that you would come down to not just suffer for us, which you did, but you also suffer with us. You, you come beside us. You carry us in your arms and Father, I know that struggling and suffering does not feel good ever. But I'm asking God, we just want to be yours today. No matter where we are, no matter where we're at, we just want to be yours and say, God, would you even use suffering to bring us closer to you? Would you even bring struggle? Would you come into that? Would you work through it? Would you bring us and grow us and make us more like you? I pray for those that are just really discouraged. That your encouragement, that sometimes just like in that, in that picture of us walking along the beach with one set of footprints, sometimes we just need carried because we can't even carry ourselves. I'm so thankful that you do that for us. Thank you for your love. We just want to be like you. We want to know you more through and through. Amen.